your name, God. Yes, Jesus. Glory, God. Come on. Everybody clap your hands right here. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here we go. Take me from where I am into your promised land. Guide me by your greatness.
That's good news this morning, amen? That freedom looks good on you. In fact, turn to the person standing next to you, give them a high five, and just say that to them. Freedom looks good on you. Let's, let's try that one more time, this time with a little bit of conviction, amen? Turn to the other neighbor, your second choice. Come on. Give him a high five and say this to him. Freedom looks good on you. Amen. One of our traditions here at Converge Church is on the first Sunday of each month, we celebrate communion together. Jesus said it this way, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. We have an opportunity to look back and celebrate the finished work of the cross this morning. In fact, the song that the team just sang, celebrating our exodus from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, was first instituted in the book of Exodus chapter 12. Uh, in the Old Testament, just before God brought the Israelites out of 420 years of bondage, they instituted Passover. And the night before God brought them out, they celebrated this meal, which was a prophetic picture of communion. This morning, we get to remember and celebrate our exodus, that because of Jesus and because of the finished work of the cross, we're free from the things that once held us bound. Come on, Cree, that's good news. All the things that once were hindrances, that were stumbling blocks, have been removed because of the finished work of the cross. So, Lord, this morning as we come near to your table, we remember the cross. We remember the ultimate price that you paid for our sin, that we might be truly free from everything that once held us bound. Thank you, Lord, that because of the cross, you delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus. Lord, today we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your broken body. And we thank you, Lord, for this symbol, this emblem of your body that was broken for us. We ask that you bless it now. We receive it with thanksgiving. And as we do, Father, we receive healing. We receive strength, we receive wholeness, we receive the grace of God. Take now and eat. Thank you, Father. And the scripture continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and says, On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup. And he said, This is my blood which is shed for you. And as often as you drink of this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. We celebrate and we honor and we give thanks not only for his body that was broken for our sin. This morning, we give thanks for his blood that was shed. For the Bible declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin. So this morning, we thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed on Calvary that our sins might be forgiven and that we might experience the mercy and the grace of God. Lord, we thank you this morning that because of your blood, goodness and mercy follows after us all the days of our lives, not condemnation or judgment, but your grace that is sufficient for us and it's all because of your blood. Jesus, we ask you to bless the cup now, this symbol of your shed blood. We receive it with great humility we receive it, God, with gratitude and thanksgiving. 
that because of your shed blood, we have forgiveness and we have right standing with our Heavenly Father. Take now and drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your grace, Lord, that is sufficient for us. And as we continue in worship, God, we draw near to you without condemnation, without hesitation, without reservation. Not because we've been perfect, but because you love us in spite of our imperfections. You know the worst about us, yet you believe the best for us. This is the unconditional love of God. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. All we have to do is simply receive what he's already provided. So this morning as we worship, we do it with all our hearts. In Jesus' name. The team is going to come and lead us in worship. But I was reminded of a post that I saw this morning that my pastor, Bishop Johnson, who was with us this past weekend, he posted a quote from A.W. Tozier which simply says, the best preparation for worship, we need to kill the talk back, Mike, it's in the house. The best preparation for worship isn't practice, it's surrender. I'll say that again. The best preparation for worship isn't practice. It's surrender. So Lord, we surrender to you now. In this moment. Have your way in us. So that you might have your way through us. For you desire those that would worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do that now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said. Amen. God bless you as we worship.
who's excited to be here this morning? <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat if you can, unless you're too excited, stay standing. Thank you. Let's give a hand to our worship team. Awesome. Well, good morning. We are so happy to see each and every one of you. Thank you for joining us, um, especially to our online virtual family. Uh, thank you for tuning in. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We are so happy that you decided to join us. Uh, we also want to ask you to stop by the Welcome Center, um, the Connection Center after service. We would love to get your name, say hello. Um, just make sure that you know that uh, we are happy that you are here. We also have a small gift for you if it's your first time with us, so make sure to stop by and grab that. It's just our way of saying thank you for joining us. If you are not already, I've said it once, I'll say it again, make sure you are following us on social media. Um, that is how you can stay up to date with what's going on here at Converge Church, all the events coming up, um, news, when we have pivots and plans, um, that's how you uh, can stay up to date. So follow us at We Are Converge Church. Unless it's TikTok, it's at Converge Church. Um, also, uh, we have students uh, meeting um, every second and fourth Sunday. So starting, woo, they have a great time in there. So if you have a, a middle school or high school student, make sure they come um, and join all the, um, the youth back in the rail. And so again, that's next weekend and then the second and fourth of every month. And that's it from me. I'll um, ask Pastor Jesse to come up to uh, share the Blessed Life segment. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on, come on, help me. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on, are you with me? That's what I'm talking about. Thank God. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for coming and being a part of our worship service today. We are so thankful that you're here. We want to say that this is a time that we celebrate God's tithes and God's offering. We want to give you an opportunity to worship with us as we give unto the Lord. If you're needing an envelope, please raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. There's also some envelopes in the back of your seats. If you need an ink pen, please raise your hand and we will be more than happy to provide that with you. We thank you that you are here with us today to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ by the giving of our tithes and our offerings. We call this our blessed life. Say blessed. So please, if you fill out an envelope and you give that way, please fill it out in its entirety. And please fill it out legibly so that we might be able to read it. Especially if you're communicating to us your email address, if you're communicating to us your address that you want us to use, and please make sure that we can read that as well. The Bible teaches us that we are to bring our tithes to the storehouse. And so we're just simply obeying the word of God. The Bible also teaches us that we're to give with a right heart, to give with a cheerful heart, to make sure that we have purpose in our heart to give because that's what we want to do. We don't want to give grudgingly. We want to give because we love God and because we are the children of God, and that's what we do. We are givers into the kingdom of God. We want to see God's kingdom flourish. We want to see it grow. We want to see Converge Church grow. We want to accomplish the task that God has given us here in this church to accomplish. And so we thank you so much that you come here and you worship with us through the giving of your tithes and your offerings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good and so kind to us. And God, we just want to say thank you Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the increase. Thank you for the abundance. 
thank you for life, as they say in the church in the old day, for life and health and strength. God, we just thank you for that today. And as we give thanks, God, we bring our increase. God, we obey the word of God today. It is our intent to be obedient children and to obey your word. God, we bring our tithes. And God, we bring our offerings with the right attitude, with a cheerful heart. God, we want to give. We get to give today. And we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to do that here at Converge Church. God, bless the people that give. Help us to understand the value and the obedience toward giving in the word of God. Thank you, Father. Bless your people. Help your people. Teach your people. Show us how to love you as we give into the kingdom of God. Father, we receive the offerings today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. fantastic. Thank you, Stephen. Anybody else ready for the word this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm coming in hot this morning, so get ready. We're about to dive into God's word uh, together. Uh, before we do that, I just want to say a big, a big heartfelt thank you uh, to each of you, to every one of you uh, for last weekend, especially all of our serve teams, all of you who worked behind the scenes to make our building dedication and ordination weekend a resounding success. Uh, we say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. There were so many moving parts, uh, so many people working behind the scenes uh, to make last weekend successful. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also say thank you uh, for your generosity and for honoring me and for honoring Pastor Wendy for Clergy Appreciation Month. Uh, we really, really appreciated just the outpouring of love uh, in your words and deeds really, really minister to us. And uh, so we wanted to say thank you. Thank you again uh, for your kindness and your outpouring of love. Uh, today is week seven of our current sermon series that we're calling Planted. We're uh, navigating, uh, unpacking these biblical principles that we believe will allow us to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Uh, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, he's announcing his mission statement and the purpose for which he came. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In 3 John chapter 2, John the Beloved, speaking under the unction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, affirms what Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10. And he says this, Beloved, I wish above all things, above all things, that thou mayest prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. That word translated prosper in the Greek simply means to have success on your journey. That's God's plan. That's God's desire. That's God's design for your life and my life. That in everything we do, in everything we touch, we would have success on our journey. It's not just limited to what's material or financial. 
God wants us to experience abundant life in our relationships, in our pursuits, in our dreams, every area of our lives. God's desire is that we would experience his highest and his best. Now, it's important to also note that as God blesses our lives, it is not intended for these blessings and for success to be self-serving. Success is what happens to you, but God wants us to move beyond success to significance. Success is what happens to you. Significance is what you allow God to do through you. God doesn't want your life to be a dead end or a cul-de-sac. God wants your life to be a freeway. He wants your life to be a channel. He wants your life to be a, a conduit through which he can impact and influence lives. That's why he said, again, here's the third witness from Scripture. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless you so you can have a lot of stuff. No, he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. I will bless you success. I will give you success on your journey, but the purpose for which I will empower you to win, listen to me, to win in life is so that you can be a blessing. And so as we walk through this series, as, as we look to God's word, it is imperative. It is imperative that we put the right frame around what we hear. Jesus said it this way to the multitude, take heed how you hear. Not just what you hear, that's content, but take heed how you hear. Jesus is speaking to the filters through which we hear. And sometimes if our filters aren't clean, and Lord help me, you'll help your pastor. I probably need to set a reminder, a notification. Because if there's one thing I forget every three months, is to change the filters in my house. But it's not only true in a natural physical sense. Most of us go through life and never stop long enough to change the filters of our hearing. So what we hear God say is often distorted by our own opinions, our own desires, our own inclinations. I don't know why I'm even saying this this morning, but I think it's important that we understand that, that God's desire from his word is that we are planted, planted so we can flourish. But the reason that we flourish is so that God can do amazing and incredible things through the people that cross our paths. Not to be self-serving, but to be other-centered. I feel like I need to spend some time there. In Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. This is what he says. He says, for I give you the power, listen to this, to get wealth, to win in life, to succeed. And then he goes on, I give you the power to get wealth so that my covenant may be established in the earth. Why does God bless our lives? 
is so that through us, his covenant in the earth can be established. Every blessing, every good thing that will ever happen to you or has happened to you. Listen, put it in the proper context. It's not just for the bigger house or the fancy car or the, the, or the, 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 the luxury brands to put on your back. No, 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 no. All of it. He said, first of all, I give you the power to get it. The ability to even earn it. The ability to even earn it comes from God. Not your aptitude, not your acumen, not how smart you are. It came from God. And he said, the reason I gave it to you is so that I can establish my covenant in the earth. So that it would flow through you to others. And so when we talk about being blessed, being blessed is not an end unto itself. It is a means to an end, which is to be a blessing. And that's the church that God has called us to be. That's the kind of church God has called us to be. And I felt like I just needed to reframe and bring everything we have said and everything we will say for the duration of this series in, back into its proper frame, into its proper context. God, use me. Bless me so that I can be a blessing. Father, that's our prayer this morning as we look to your word. That in everything we hear today, make us others-centered. Make us others-centered. As we pray for open doors, as we pray for opportunity, we pray that it's not just about us, but ultimately it's about what you desire to do through us. Use us for your glory. Use us for your glory. Enlarge our territory. So that you can use, Father, every blessing that you bestow upon us to help the hurting and meet the needs of those around us. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. I don't know why I'm hanging out here, but I got to say one more thing. Jabez prayed this bold, audacious, radical prayer. First Chronicles chapter 4, books have been written about it. And, and, and it's kind of tucked away in this obscure passage of Scripture. And, and Jabez prays this bold, audacious prayer. And he said, God, that you would bless me indeed. Sounds like a selfish prayer. Until you get to the last verse of that prayer where he says that you might enlarge my territory. On the one hand, it seems like a really selfish prayer. But you know what Jabez was praying? Jabez was praying, enlarge my territory because everyone who had land, farmland, was supposed to reserve the borders of the land for people who didn't have to come and glean in their fields. Jabez was saying, Lord, you've already blessed me with a field, but I want to do more for those in need. So God, as you enlarge my territory, what that is going to produce is more opportunities for people to glean from my field. 
So when Jabez is saying, bless me indeed, he has others in mind. And notice what the scripture says next. And God granted his request. God granted his request. I wonder how many of us have been praying the wrong prayers. Prayers that only serve us. Yet God desires to answer our prayers when we pray prayers that are others-centered. And how many of you realize the water that flows through the hose is for the grass, but the hose gets wet in the process? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Even though the intent of every blessing you and I will ever receive is other-centered, you get touched by it as well. So let's look to God's word together. Thank you, Dexter. Appreciate it. That was good, man. Y'all ever seen Mr. Deeds? <laughs> you remember the butler of Mr. Deeds? Man, he just popped up from anywhere. Thank you, Dexter. I appreciate it. Psalm 1 and verse 1 is our anchor text for this series. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but he stands and does not stand in the... the, the Blessed men that walk in the counsel of God, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He prioritizes God's word, the seed of God's word. And in it does he delight. And it says, this man, this woman, this is the promise of God. This man, this woman will be like a tree that's planted. Somebody say planted. Uh, that puts their roots down. Not shallow roots, roots but deep roots. And this man, this woman that is planted by these rivers of living water will bring forth their fruit in season. Their leaf will not wither, and whatsoever they do, it shall prosper. That's good news this morning, Converge, that whatever you put your hands to, as you follow the pattern of God, will prosper. Now say this with me. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. Receive the promise. And that's what we're doing as we're walking through this series. We understand that God has a plan for each of our lives that we would be blessed. That word blessed in the Hebrew means happy, fortunate, to be envied. That there should be something about my life that is desirable to others when they see the peace of God, when they see the grace of God and the wisdom of God upon my life. It makes my life enviable. Not in a negative sense. But there's something about my life and the light of my life that makes the gospel attractive to others. It makes them want what you have. So first of all, we have this promise of being blessed, and that's God's plan. But as we understand God's plan, we also have to recognize that God has a pattern. And if we follow that pattern, we will receive his promise. Um, how am I going to do this? Because I have a lot of things on my heart this morning. In fact, I had a hard time even finding a title for this message. Uh, and, and it's something that I've been thinking about, meditating on for several, uh, several weeks now. And um, I pray that God will give me the grace to, to speak and to communicate to you uh, just as I received it from him. Amen? And I pray you'll be encouraged by it. This is week seven of our sermon series, Planted, and um, our anchor text for today's message 
which is a companion text to Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, is lifted from the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 13, and I'll read verses 6 through 9. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Uh, This parable is often referred to as the parable of the barren fig tree. Mm. So Luke records these words beginning in verse number 6. It says, he, Jesus, also spoke this parable, that a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found None. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. What should we do to this barren, unfruitful fig tree? Cut it down. It's not bearing fruit. And I've given it time to be fruitful. I've given it time to multiply. I've given it time to be productive. And still, no fruit. Cut it down. But in the middle of this exchange, from the owner of the vineyard to the keeper of the vineyard, comes this plea in verse 7. I love this. Uh, But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also. You've extended grace. You've extended mercy. You've been patient for three years. Do it again. Give it one more year. I beseech you. I implore you. I ask you. I know you've been expecting a return on your investment. And I know you have these expectations that have come up empty for three years. However, comma, as Pastor Wendy would say, Give it one more year. And in that year, allow me to dig around it and fertilize it. And if after one year, it still doesn't bear fruit, then cut it down. One of the things that I said from the onset of this series is that in this series, God wanted to move us from potential to productivity. And the more I prayed about this message, Stephen, the Lord began to rebuke me. And he said, Ray, if you're not careful, as a pastor, you will measure people's value and their worth only by their ability to produce. And how many of us have relationships that are defined only by performance? Look no further than professional sports. 
your quarterback is the darling of the city, the darling of the state, as long as he can score touchdowns. He is a celebrity as long as you can win. Come next season, when he can't score as many touchdowns, I still remember the year, Dak Prescott's rookie year, Zeke Elliott's rookie year, and, 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 and what's the other guy that doesn't play anymore? Des, Des Bryant, Des Bryant. Oh, yeah. Oh, we were singing their praises. We thought it was a reincarnation of Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and, Smith and Michael Irvin. See what people say about Dak right now. See what the same people who sang their praises have to say about Zeke and Dak right now. You know why? You know why this city is crying, cut him down, trade him, replace him. He ain't worth that big contract. Is because it is human tendency to measure worth and value by performance and productivity. And if we're not careful, the people in our lives, the relationships we have will be lopsided and will lean only to the people who are able to produce and perform. And we will miss the fact that God sometimes sends people in your life, not because of what they can do for you, but because of what you're supposed to do for them in that season. Because of what you're supposed to produce in them in that season. Because of what you're supposed to dig around. Because of what you're supposed to fertilize. Because of what you're supposed to pour into them. But the problem is, most of us have one response. Cut them down. We ain't no good. And if we're not careful, we will miss the fact that some relationships exist because God wants you to pour into them, even when they have nothing to pour back into you. And I wonder how many of us have cut people off because of a season when someone in your circle and someone in your life was needy, but you only gravitated toward people who were productive and performing. First of all, the Lord sent me here to apologize on behalf of every pastor who's ever loved you only because of what you could do for them. Who loved you as long as you were stroking the check. Who loved you only when you could serve. Who loved you only when you could give your time, your talent, and treasure. But never stop to ask, why did you stop producing? 
Because if I'm the vine dresser, if I'm the one given the charge of caring for this vineyard, I'm going to say to myself, hold up. This particular tree is an anomaly. Every other tree in the vineyard is doing well except this one. So this tree needs my undivided attention, not sometime in the future, but right now. Yet the vine dresser pays no attention to this dying tree or this non-fruit-bearing tree until it is under the threat of being cut down. My friend Sheldon Winston is here. He's a veteran. Pastor Jesse's a veteran. Rob Welsh is a veteran. One of the first things I learned in combat lifesaver school is when you get into a, 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 a scene, whether it's on the battlefield or an accident, uh, they ask us this question. Who do you respond to first? The person that's screaming or the person that's silent? And everyone, oh, person that's screaming, person that's no, 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 no. You help the person that's silent because the person that's screaming, number one, is alive, they're conscious, and they have a clear air passage. You respond to the person who might be suffering in silence. And the first thing you do is you check for consciousness to see if they are awake and alert. And if they're not awake and alert, the second thing you do is you check for breathing, the rise and fall of the chest. And you put your cheek next to their nose to see if they're breathing in and breathing out. The problem with most of us is we gravitate to the people who are making the most noise. And we ignore the people who are suffering in silence. who could die without immediate attention and intervention. And I wonder how many barren fig trees are all around us. Here it is, your strong friend who's suffering in silence. I apologize. Not just for every pastor. I apologize for this pastor who only loved you as long as he had something to offer. I don't think that's been the, the posture and the inclination of my heart, but just in case there was ever a time my wife or I came across, forgive me. Because if we're not careful, listen to me. There are people that God has allowed to cross your path who are in crisis and will never say a word. And the only people that get our attention are the ones who scream the loudest. But they're the ones who need our help the least. It's the ones suffering in silence, living lives of quiet desperation. Let's revisit the text because we're going to see some things in the text. The first thing we see in the text is expectations. Somebody say expectations. 
The scripture says he spoke this parable that a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. This wasn't a wild fig tree. This was a fig tree that was planted intentionally, purposefully in a vineyard. And notice what the scripture says. And he came seeking fruit on it. Isn't that a reasonable expectation? That if you plant a tree, it's going to bear fruit? Uh can I talk to you about expectations? And the reason I want to talk to you about expectations is because expectations are the seedbed for disappointment. Whenever someone communicates a disappointment to you, it's because of an unmet expectation. I planted this fig tree. I came looking for fruit, not once, not twice, but three years. Now, can I just tell you something about expectations? They usually show up one of three ways. There are some expectations that are just understood, right? For instance, an example of an understood expectation is you expect a father to provide for the children he births. You expect children to respect their father and mother. Those are understood expectations. They are assumed by what is considered normal in a functioning society. You expect a husband to be a faithful to his wife, and you expect a wife to be faithful to a husband. Nobody has to give you a lecture. Nobody has to give you a special class on these understood expectations. Are y'all with me? Let me read what the definition of an understood expectation is. An understood expectation is anything that is accepted as normal ha, or reasonable. Hold up now. This is kind of where it gets a little tricky, Rob. Because your normal may not be my normal. And, and I've got to say this, and, and those of you who have been with us for a while, you know where I'm going. But it bears repeating. Because it helps us understand why you and I have the expectations that we have. It begins with our environment. The environment into which you were born, over which you had no say. Because your environment determines your exposure. Your environment will determine what you are exposed to. I was born and raised in Liberia, West Africa. My wife, Pastor Wendy, was born and raised in Ypsilanti, Michigan. What I was exposed to in Liberia, West Africa, is totally different than what Pastor Wendy was exposed to in Ypsilanti, Michigan. So I might say, this is what's normal for me, and it could be completely abnormal to Pastor Wendy, based on what we were exposed to. So your environment will determine what you're exposed to. What you're exposed to will determine your experiences, good or bad. Part of my experience was living through the Liberian Civil War. Pastor ne Wendy never had that experience. Part of my experience is knowing what to go, what, what it's like to go without food for days. 
I know what it's like to be trapped in a house with 30 other people surrounded by rebels and not being able to come out even to fetch your own water, water to take a bath. Those are my experiences that have informed how I treat people. Not necessarily Pastor Wendy's experience. Your environment will determine what you're exposed to. What you're exposed to will determine your experiences, and your experiences will determine your expectations, good or bad. Your expectations define what you normalize. So if you grew up in a house where people resolve conflict by shouting and screaming, that's normal to you. But it could be abnormal, entirely abnormal to somebody who grew up in a house where the way they resolved conflict was everybody shut down and nobody talked about it. And if you gave it enough time, those feelings of anger would go away. So I have to be careful when I say what is normal because what's normal to one may not necessarily be normal to the next. Understood expectations are also the things we assume to be the case based on what is generally accepted. But there are always exceptions. Expectations matter. So the, 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 the owner of the vineyard comes and he says, my expectation tree is that because I've planted this, this tree in a vineyard and I've left a vine dresser, that when I come, when it's time to harvest, there's going to be some fruit on this tree. I don't know about y'all, but every now and then, when I go out, you know, with Bay, with my forever girlfriend, sometimes, let's say you do a double date, right? You go out with friends. You go to your favorite restaurant. You order appetizers. And the conversation is so good. And there's so much food that by the time you get to the main course, you can't even finish your dinner. Because you're having such a good time. You're talking. You're laughing, right? And then you get the to-go box. You take it home. Let's say it's a Sunday night. And on Monday morning, you're rushing out of the house. So you leave your leftovers in the fridge. Y'all know where I'm going with this already. The problem is you forgot that you got teenage children. Y'all know the expectation when you leave your favorite meal in the fridge. Come on, somebody. Y'all know how you be at work, and you think about how you're going to put that food in the microwave for a minute and a half, right until the, the sauce starts to bubble. You can even smell the Parmesan oregano. Listen, you, you can smell, you at work, and you already know it's Monday. This is what you're going to eat when you get home. It's going to be sitting right in front of you on your TV tray as you watch the Cowboys play Monday night football. Wishful thinking, somebody said. You get home from work. Take off your shoes. Put on your house shoes. And you're still thinking about it. Listen, you're even salivating already. Because you know when you open that fridge door, there it is. Only to find it's gone. 
Has anybody had that experience of, yeah, of complete, I'm going to kill these children today. That's what this guy's feeling. Every year, I come back to this tree, hoping for the best. And there's nothing. He has an understood expectation that if I plant this tree, it's going to bear fruit. But here's the, the challenge with expectations. The reason we experience disappointment in our relationships and and, and in life is because they're not only expectations that are understood, but sometimes those expectations that are understood, here it is, go unmet. Unmet expectations. Now, why are unmet expectations uh, 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 difficult to grapple with? Uh, well, first off, Sometimes unmet expectations are unrealistic. Unrealistic simply defined as not recognizing the truth about a situation, especially about the difficulties involved in something you want to achieve. So some expectations go unmet because they're unrealistic. But here's the second reason that expectations go unmet. It's because honestly... Sometimes our expectations of others are unknown. And when I say unknown, they were never clearly articulated or communicated. You say, Pastor, what are we talking about? I'll give you an example. A couple comes to us years ago, and they're on the verge of divorce. And when I sit there, Pastor Winnie and I sit there and we're going through this thing with this couple, it's like, okay, uh, so how can we serve you? How can we help you? The husband, well, they have a four-year-old son. Mom was out of town. Four-year-old son was disrespectful to dad. Dad whooped him. Applied the board of education to his seat of understanding. Now, I know we're in a mixed crowd. So however you parent is however you parent. I'm not advocating one or the other. Mom, though, comes back. Four-year-old son says, Mom, Dad, whip me. Mom says to her husband, what do you think you're doing? Why you put your hands on my son? In my house, my dad never touched us. He talked to us. Husband says, in my house, come on somebody, environment, exposure, experiences, expectation. In my house, if I talk back to my mom and dad, they whooped him. So they start fighting about what's the right way to discipline. And because they can't agree, they're about to call a divorce lawyer. What am I telling you? The reason they were at that point? Because, it was because... They had expectations that were unknown. They were unknown because they were never clearly articulated or communicated. The second reason is somebody can tell you something, but it also has to be agreed to. 
Just because you said it doesn't mean you have agreement. So here they are. They've been married at least four years because the, the baby four years old. And they're about to go their separate ways because of an expectation that was never communicated. We make assumptions instead of clearly articulating our expectations. Now, second thing that happened in the story, are y'all still tracking with me? Okay. The second thing that happens in the story, and listen, this happens everywhere. People have expectations of their church. (laughs) Ah, Lord Jesus, help. (laughs) There are people who are in pursuit of the perfect church. But let me tell you about your pursuit of the perfect church. It becomes imperfect the moment you walk through the doors. Let me say it again. That perfect church that you're looking for became imperfect the moment you walk through the doors with your imperfect self. That's looking for a perfect church. And that's why here at Converge Church we said no perfect people allowed. If you're perfect, go to the church down the street because you ain't going to find a perfect church. Because you are just as imperfect as all of us. Jesus, take the wheel. I told you I was coming in hot. What, what, what was I talking about? Oh, oh here, 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 here's the second thing. He had some expectations. He had some expectations that weren't unrealistic, that weren't unknown. They just went unmet. His expectations were realistic. Listen, if I plant a tree, it's supposed to bear fruit. But he never stopped to ask why. This tree in particular wasn't bearing And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time before I let you go. (sighs) Expectations, but also experiences. So the next verse says, then he said to the keeper of this vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. This is my experience. This tree ain't bearing no fruit. And you've heard me say it before, when our expectations don't match our experiences, we become exasperated. The way you deal with your exasperation is you reduce the gap between what you expected and what you are experiencing. And for three years, his expectation and his experience didn't match. Come on, somebody. You married this dude, and you thought marriage was going to be like the cover of Harlequin Romance. Fabio's hair blowing in the breeze. The bird showing up in your window and singing in the morning like Andalasia. Only to realize that marriage is not just the union of two souls, it is the collision of two histories. That was tweetable right there. Come on, somebody. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? 
And the frustration that you're experiencing in your life now is because what you expected doesn't match what you're experiencing. I expected some figs. Three years, I ain't got nothing. Cut it down! And that's what we do. When what we expected from a relationship, from a business venture, from an investment, we just say, man, just cut your losses, chop it off. Stop the bleeding. That's what they would say to us in the army, right, Sheldon? Put a tourniquet on it and stop the bleeding. But notice the source of his exasperation. And I promise you, I'm about to let y'all go. Because I got some leftovers that I'm thinking about right now that I hope Levi didn't touch. Yeah, man. Have y'all ever felt the pain? Uh, listen, I'm traumatized, man, from my children eating my leftovers, man. Right, Shavonda? Been there, right? Traumatic, man. But notice, notice the source of his exasperation tree. He said, cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? His problem was that this tree was a taker and not a giver. Huh? Have you ever been in a relationship, friendship with people who it seemed like they were constantly pulling and had nothing to give in return? Some of us, most of us have been there. And our solution was cut it off. Stop taking their calls. Stop returning their texts. Because they are energy demanders, not energy producers. So in his exasperation, he says, cut this tree down, man. Because it's constantly taken from me and gives nothing in return. You see, the owner had, listen to me, the owner had an expectation of reciprocity. Yet, if we're careful and we read Scripture... The scripture says, you're going to reap what you sow. Isn't that what the scripture said? What the scripture does not say is you will always reap where you've sown. Mm. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. Our expectation, Brooks, is sowing and reaping. Okay, so if I sow here, I'll reap here. That's not always the case. What the scripture promises is that you will reap what you've sown. But you don't always reap where you've sown. There are people you will pour your life into. Give the best of what you have to offer. And you ain't going to get nothing back. From them. From them. But somehow God has a way of returning the kindness you sow from other places. And that's why the scripture says, don't grow weary in well-doing, because you will surely reap if you faint not. It didn't say you will reap from where you sowed. It said you're going to reap. Where it comes from is not up to you. You would like to think that it will come from the place where you sowed. But if we only sow, expecting a return where we sowed, listen to me, you have created a debt. You're not listening to what we say. You remember back in the day 
when we were broke and you needed a ride and your buddy gave you a ride and you said, man, I owe you one. Because in our minds, we create this expectation that if I sow here, I'm going to reap here. There is going to be reciprocity from where I've sown. But it's not always the case. Should it be? Absolutely. Should it be? Yes. Is that always the case? No. And so what ends up happening is because somebody burned you once, you withhold the best part of who you are. And you stop being kind. And you stop being compassionate. And you cut people off. Isn't that what the owner said? This thing ain't bearing fruit. Cut it off. I'm helping somebody this morning. I know, I know, I know. Uh, So uh, he had an expectation of reciprocity. And so here it is. And I promise you I'm going to close right here. Y'all ready for this? Reciprocity is a situation or relationship in which two people or groups agree to do something similar for each other. That's reciprocity. To allow each other to have the same rights and benefits. That's what reciprocity is. I'm pouring into you. I ain't getting nothing back. I'm going to cut you off right now. Now, the vine dresser is about to flip the script. And this is where we close because I believe that God is calling us to be vine dressers in our relationships. Recognizing the relationships that we are tempted to cut off because we don't recognize why that relationship exists. In this season, that relationship exists not for them to pour into you, but for you to pour into them. That relationship exists right now for you to be God's solution to their barrenness. And we're steady placing demands on people that have nothing to give because they are broken vessels. And what if the reason that you are in their life is to repair the cracks? To heal the wounds. So that when you pour love into them and you pour kindness into them, this time it sticks. The problem with some of us is we're pouring into vessels that are broken. When God says, don't pour into them yet, heal the crack. Repair the breach so that when you do pour into them, they can now bear fruit. Most of us have a cookie-cutter approach to our relationships. We do what we've always done. And when it's not working, we cut people off. And God sent me here this morning to tell you, be like the vine dresser. So the vine dresser says, don't cut it off. Don't cut it off 
until I dig around it. Until I fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, good. But if not, after that, cut it down. And what the vine dresser is saying, it could be, it could be that what you're about to cut off is something you should have cared for. That the reason this tree is not producing is the direct result of neglect. You listened to all the trees and you looked at all the trees and you took care of the trees that were producing, but the tree that wasn't, you neglected, you ignored. It was the friend. Oh, come on, Jesus. It was the spouse. It was the child suffering in silence. And you celebrate the, celebrated the kids who were winning and succeeding, and the spouse who was winning and succeeding. And the vine dresser realized, hold up. If that tree ain't bearing fruit, some of this responsibility could be mine. That I didn't give that tree the care and the attention that it needed. Pastor, for the people in your pews who have nothing to give, are you going to stop long enough to say, you know what? I'm going to dig around this tree. I will fertilize this tree. And I believe that God will cause things that were once dead, unfruitful and barren to live again. Sometimes the areas in our lives that bear the least fruit are the areas of our lives that require the most attention. But those are the parts of our lives we want to cut off. But they require more attention. On behalf of every pastor, on behalf of every ministry leader who only loved you because of your performance, because of what you could do for their agenda, for the ones who cut you off, when you were unfruitful and unproductive, the ones who neglected you when they should have cared for you. I apologize. I apologize. And all night I've been asking God, make us a church that is full of vine dressers so that the fig trees planted in this vineyard, not just the ones that flourish and bear fruit, but the ones that have nothing to give. Because their vessel is empty. That we would be the ones like the good Samaritan who pour in the oil and wine. Who heal the cracks. And you know this, there's a Japanese technique when a vessel is broken that they take the vessel and they put it together with gold leaf. And the broken vessel with the gold leaf is more valuable than the vessel before it was broken. All right, this is where I close, I promise. I got to say this. Because the kind of church that God is calling us to be, and it may not be for everybody, but let me give you a picture of the church that God has called us to be. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. 1 Samuel chapter 22 Verses 1 and 2. In fact, 
here's the title of this message. It may not make any sense until I read this verse. But maybe the title of this message should simply be Adullam. Adullam. Notice the text. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. But notice who showed up at David's doorstep. Notice the people that filled David's church. It says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to David. And so David became a captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Why do I say Adullam? I say Adullam because the church is supposed to be the place where all those who are discouraged, all those who are in debt, all those who are discontented can come. And listen to me, if I had to pick my dream team, if I had to pick my, my first round draft picks, I probably don't want to pick these people. But notice what the scripture says. That they came to him. And he became a captain over them. And there were about 400 men. Think about it. 400 men with their wives and family. Discouraged. In debt. Discontented. And David becomes a captain over them. But the rest of the story is that these people who came to David broken went into battle victorious as mighty men of valor. Think about 400. Listen to me. Let me speak to the men for a second. Think about 400 men in distress. Think about 400 men in debt. Think about 400 men discontented and their families with them. Think about the dysfunction that's happening in that group of people. And they say, David, we need your help. That's why, why Frederick Douglass said it's so much easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And there's 400 broken men that come to David and out of those 400 men, he raises them up doesn't cut them off because they're unfruitful, barren fig trees, but he digs around them. He fertilizes them, and they all become mighty men of valor. Father, would you make our church, would you do for our church what you did through David at the cave of Adullam? God, as you send your people, we receive them just as they are. Discontent, in distress, broken and hurting, unfruitful and maybe even barren. And God, would you give us the grace to pull out the greatness in them 
to call out the purpose and the plan of God in them, to raise them up from where they've been to become all that you have created us to be. Father, would you make our church a safe place where people will come and experience healing and experience restoration, where they will be safe, safe to heal, safe to recover, safe to be restored by a good God. Father, we ask you to do that. Do for this house what you did at the cave of Dulem. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Did that help anybody this morning? <laughs> Praise the Lord. This is what we're going to do. Are we going to dismiss the service? Come on, somebody. 1129? Come on. I feel special to. Yeah, but 1120. I let y'all out before 12 today. Even with three closets. Come on, somebody. Why don't you stand with me as we dismiss the service? Who's counting? Someone said. Right. Listen, if you're here this morning and you just need prayer, if you just need prayer, maybe you say, Pastor Ray, that's me. Ah, that's me. I just need prayer. I'm like one of the 400 that came today. And I just need prayer. Or maybe you've been on the receiving end of ministry, of leaders, of people who've only used you because of your productivity and your performance. But when you couldn't perform anymore, they wrote you off. If that's you, this altar is a doula. As the service is dismissed, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. And if someone can get Pastor Wendy, that would be a major blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his countenance to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace not as this world gives, but the peace that comes only from Jesus. We trust you to do it now, Father. In the strong, mighty, matchless name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. And we want to pray for you if you need prayer this morning. If you were impacted by today's worship experience, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's message was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some materials to kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you would like more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at echurchatweareconverged.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com forward slash give. You can also give by texting 77977 and send Converge Give in the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.